So, this is Pentecost. It's not Christmas. It's not Easter. The two great festivals about which we get so excited. Um, it's Pentecost. And I sometimes feel that Pentecost is a bit like being born on the 27th of December. You have your birthday every year, two days after Christmas, and your birthday is always overshadowed by Christmas. In fact, maybe you have that thing where people say, oh, well, we'll not get your birthday present. We'll just double up on the Christmas present, which makes your birthday completely miserable and disappointing. And Pentecost sometimes feels a bit like that. I think it is overshadowed by those other two festivals, Christmas and Easter. And anyway, Pentecost is way too close to Easter itself. But Pentecost is actually just as important as Christmas and Easter. And today, we're coming to the third sermon in my series for this year, my signature series entitled, I Believe. And so far, we have looked at worship and welcome, but today we're thinking about presence, the presence of God among his people. And that is what Pentecost is all about Acts chapter 1 says this, Jesus said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This was the moment of arrival. I don't know if you've seen the movie Arrival or not, but, but if you have near the beginning of that movie, there is a moment when the two key characters in the movie who ultimately make contact with the aliens who are on board the ship uh, that has come into Earth atmosphere Louise Banks and Ian Donnelly, they are being transported to the site in Montana where one of these alien spacecrafts has materialized. And as you see them in the transport on their way to the site, suddenly in a moment, the vista opens up and there in the middle of a very ordinary background is this incredibly strange alien spacecraft. Something otherworldly is really there. And it's such a powerful moment in that movie. And in a way, that's kind of what the day of Pentecost is like. We read in Acts 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Someone otherworldly is among the disciples and the church was born. It was a moment of arrival. God is present among his people. A few weeks ago, when I spoke about anxiety, I talked about the significance of the presence of God for us in our lives. Even when I walk through the, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The presence of God. And that's its significance to us as individuals. But what is the significance of the presence of God for the church, for us as a body of believers, and not just as individuals? That's what I want to think about in this signature address. 
For one thing, Pentecost speaks into the current situation of lockdown and these scattered Sundays, which we're currently involved in. You know, I hear so much about all the amazing things that are happening with people tuning into online worship and Zooming each other for prayer and Bible study and fellowship. And hey, all of that is great. And I'm not one to undermine any of that or say it doesn't matter. Of course, it's important that we try to keep links together during these times. It's good but it's not the best. Pentecost reminds us about that because one of the things you read about Pentecost in those verses we had read for us just a few moments ago is this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And surely that's got to be our aim right now, to plan and look forward to the moment when you and I can all be together in one place. And by that, I don't mean in your cars in the car park, okay? But the other thing about Pentecost is that the presence of God among us gives the church two things. Two things I believe we so desperately need. The first one is power. Power. This was the promise Jesus gave the disciples just before the ascension in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What did Jesus mean by that? Well, it's not that we can take our seat among the powerful of this world. It's not that kind of power, the power of spin and media hype and numbers and intellect and so on. It's not that kind of power. We get a clue when we realize what the power is given to do. In Acts chapter 1 we read, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Newton Abbey and Belfast, and in Ireland north and south, and to the very ends of the earth. Okay, I contextualized it slightly. But you see what Jesus is saying? Why do we need power? We need power to witness And why do we need power to witness? I mean, surely witnessing is witnessing. It's telling our personal experience of the work of God. Yeah, it is. But for witness to be effective, people need to be listening. Many of you will have watched with horror, I'm sure, on social media, the death of George Floyd. You will have seen that American police officer in Minnesota with his knee on the person's neck whom he was trying to restrain. And you will have heard on that video clip the the victim saying to the police officer continually, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. But the police officer remains where he is with his knee on the young man's neck until the young man dies. Now, would the testimony of the bystander who saw that been of any importance if it were not for the fact that he recorded it on his mobile phone and posted the video to social media so that now the whole world is listening. See, you can testify all you like, but if no one is listening, the testimony is ineffective. And that is why Jesus gives us, through the gift of the Holy Spirit and his presence among the church, power to witness. Powerful witnessing happens when the presence of the Holy Spirit anoints the witness that is being given. Usually it takes the form of words of witness, revealing something about the person who starts to listen. 
We have had over the past number of nights uh, Marie Curie nurses uh, with us in the evenings through the nighttime hours to help look after Christine. And uh, each night when, when they come, I tried to think, well, what would my wife do in these circumstances? And I thought, well, she would leave a tray with, 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 uh, with some biscuits and, and, and the necessary things on it to make a cup of tea or coffee in the middle of the night. So each night I laid out a tray as best as I could. And the first night, the first nurse who came, that was fine. I left the tray. And I came down in the morning and she said to me, how did you know? I said, what do you mean? How did I know what? She said, how did you know that Marks and Spencer's stem ginger biscuits were my favorites? She said, normally when I sit in someone's house at night, I never have anything to eat. But when I saw the packet of stem ginger biscuits, I just had to have one. How did you know? Of course, I didn't. Truth to be told, it was the only biscuits we had. But how many times have I not heard that expression from people on an alpha course or after a sermon? How did you know that about my life? And sometimes I've seen it. Over the course of an Alpha course, as I've watched a person who for the first few weeks was totally disinterested, perhaps even hostile, to the Christian gospel, gradually begin to concentrate, to open up, and to get to the point where they were hanging on almost every word I had to say. What was that about? Was that my really persuasive arguments? No. It is the power of Pentecost. It is the power to witness so that I say some things, you say some things. But what the person listening hears is they hear something about their lives that you and I don't know. It's an incredible thing. And it's what Jesus has given to the church by the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Power to witness, power to speak about what God has done for us in such a way that people begin to listen. Some people know that power in lifelong service. Many years ago, I spent two summers working as an assistant minister in the Mourn Presbyterian Church in Kilkeel under the Reverend Dr. David McGahey. He had a huge influence on my life because of the kind of person that he is. And he has had a life of being an evangelist, not only in the congregation where he worked for so long, but in preaching in loads of other churches across the country. And many, many people have come to faith because of that power of Pentecost on his witnessing. And I was talking to him on the phone a couple of weeks ago. We rang up to find out how Christine was. And we were chatting on the phone. And I asked him how he was. And he's getting on in age now. And uh, he suffers from a number of illnesses that uh, make mobility difficult for him now. Uh, And I said, so you're not preaching anymore? He said, well, no, not a lot now. But he said, I I, I did a mission last autumn uh, in the morn in the church that he'd been a minister in for so long. And you know what? He said, it was the most fruitful one I ever did. Here was a man after years of service and the power of Pentecost still at work through his testimony. And you know what? You don't need to be ordained for that to be true. I got a couple of text messages in the last week or so from a member of the congregation who's not very long a Christian himself. I baptized him last year at our picnic. And uh, he texted me uh, a couple of days ago and he said this. He said, one of my friends got saved. Another friend is looking forward to, to church opening again. And I gave my best friend a Bible. All three of them are in the paramilitaries, praise the Lord. And then two days later, I get the next text. 
I wanted to spread the delight in our father this morning. My girlfriend asked the Lord into her heart last night, and this morning another one of my friends has asked the Lord into his heart. God is most certainly moving. All glory be to him. Amen. You don't have to be ordained. It's not about that. It's not about education or intellect or the ability to make arguments. It's about the power of Pentecost, power to witness. And you know, maybe as you're listening to this broadcast right now, maybe you don't normally worship with us, uh, but you've tuned in, you've found it, you've been listening. Maybe you feel that power right now in some way that you cannot explain during this act of worship, something unexpected is happening. Something has been said and it has opened a door in your heart. Maybe there are tears right now or maybe just a longing for something that God might do in your life. This is the power of Pentecost at work. Pause the broadcast right now and pray that simple prayer. Sorry, thank you, please. Sorry, Lord, for who I am and what I've done. Thank you for sending Jesus uh, to the cross for me. Please give me your Holy Spirit that I might live for you. And then when you've done it, get on your phone and tell someone. I believe the Holy Spirit came for that very cause. And so I believe that this, that his power is in this testimony right now. If you hear him speak to you, respond now and let us know. Pentecost brought the church power, but it also brought the church authority. Second thing that Pentecost and the presence of the Holy Spirit gives is authority. Increasingly, I find in our denomination and perhaps in, in other mainstream churches a fixation on authority, but not the Pentecostal kind it seems more and more that churches want to dictate how we understand our calling in, 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 in local fellowships and how we carry it out. It seems to be all about command and control. And what I want to say at the very beginning is that is not the authority of Pentecost. It's a different kind of authority. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus gave the kind of authority I'm talking about to the 12 and to the 72 you can read about it for yourselves. When the 72 disciples return after Jesus has sent them out to preach, to evangelize and to heal and so on, they come back and they come back with stories of an amazing response to their ministry. They say even the demons submitted to us at the name of Jesus. It's an incredible moment. And then Jesus says to them in Luke chapter 10 verse 19, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus is making it clear here to the 72 that his church is involved in a struggle against the kingdom of darkness. And what he is saying to these disciples is, that they and we have been given authority to cast the imposter out. We need to remember that the kingdom of darkness is not in charge. The kingdom of darkness is a squatter and property that belongs to someone else. 
And so Jesus is giving authority to his disciples to cast that darkness out. It should not be there. It has no right or claim to this world, for this is the Father's world. And Jesus sends the disciples out with the authority to command the darkness to go. And we do this. We do this as individuals in our everyday lives. This is what Christian teachers and Christian doctors and Christian politicians and Christian builders and Christian carers and, and all of us, and, and by whatever means we seek to enhance human, human life and, and to help others around us, we are expressing the life of the kingdom of God. We are exercising authority to cast out the kingdom of darkness. But we're not just called to do that as individuals through our daily tasks and our witness to Jesus Christ. The church is called to do this as a body. And we do seek to do that through our compassion ministries, for example, and our youth work and so on, reaching out to people in positions of darkness and need and seeking to draw them into the kingdom of light and to meet their needs. But most especially we do this in prayer ministry. We read about Jesus in Luke chapter 9. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. It couldn't be clearer. We have authority to evict the kingdom of darkness in ministry to those in need in our world. And Pentecost gives us that authority. It constitutes us, the church of Jesus Christ. It brings to us the presence of God that we might exercise the authority of Christ in the darkness that is all around us. I'm not saying that this is easy. We read in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, that Jesus tells the 12 that they have authority to do this. And he sends them out to witness and to heal but later in that same chapter, just a matter of verses later, Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration with three of his closest friends and he comes down from the mountain to find a commotion going on. And the reason for the commotion is that a man has brought his only child to the disciples and his only child is seriously afflicted by a spirit. And the spirit is threatening the child's life and destroying the life of the home and family circle. And the dad has brought his only child to the disciples to be healed and they have miserably failed. This is just a matter of verses after Jesus has given this same group of men the authority to do this very thing. And Jesus says in Luke 9 verse 41, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here, he says to the man. And you know the story, Jesus heals the boy. And everyone there is amazed, the text says, at the greatness of God. Jesus does more damage to the kingdom of darkness by healing that man's only boy. And that helps us to understand that prayer ministry is not a crutch to help support broken people who have nowhere else to go. Prayer ministry is the authoritative action of the kingdom of God. Jesus has given us authority in these areas to minister to the needs of other people. What would Jesus say 
if he were present among us this morning about our attempts to do this ministry, would he look at us and say, unbelieving generation, how long will I put up with you? Our annual trustees report as a congregation talks a lot about our finances and our property and the large numbers of people who use our buildings and are served by our ministries. And loads of those things are really important and we need to be thankful to God for his generous provision for the needs of this fellowship and the ministries that we're seeking to exercise in the communities where he has placed us in Newton Abbey and in Belfast. But that report doesn't record many healings or deliverances. And we ought to be concerned about that because this day, the day of Pentecost, was the time when Christ gave to us authority to meet the kingdom of darkness head on in these areas. If you've been on the Alpha course, you'll probably have heard the story about St. Thomas Aquinas the great medieval theologian of the church who on one occasion visited the city of Rome uh, with a novice from his order. And he took the young man around the city and the young man was completely amazed and speechless at what he saw. All the churches, uh, the incredible frescoes, uh, the wealth of, of, of the church that he discovered uh, in Rome. And, and at one point, um, turning to St. Thomas Aquinas, his master, and reflecting on that story in the Gospels, you know, in Acts chapter 3, where Peter meets the man at the beautiful gate of the temple and, and heals him. And when Peter um, sees the man, a man is begging, he's asking for alms and for help, and Peter looks at him and he says, silver and gold, I, I don't have any. And... Um, the, the, the novice turns to St. Thomas Aquinas and said, truly, master, it can no longer be said, silver and gold have I none. Yes, said the master, but also no longer could it be said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. Sometimes we have all the trappings that mark us out as a successful entity in this world. But we lack that one sign, which is the sign of the glorious authority of Christ given to us by the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. It's not about our wealth. It's not about our buildings. It's not about how many people come to the things that we do. It's about whether or not we can actually say in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. Pentecost marks the presence of God among his people as the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. It means that we have been given authority to do what Jesus did. Jesus' first ministry action in Luke's gospel is to read the scriptures in his home synagogue in Nazareth. These are the words he reads. It says he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he sits down, hands the scroll back to the attendant. And then he says these unforgettable words. Today, he says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All that stuff about the kingdom of God, 
overtaking the kingdom of darkness and expelling its deeds and dealing with its damage. This is the moment when that kingdom of God begins to come. And Pentecost gives us the authority to do this in Jesus' name because the spirit of the Lord is also upon us. Pentecost brings us power. Power to witness. Power to tell the story in such a way that people will begin to listen because in the story we tell, they will hear their own story too. And Pentecost gives us authority in the name of Jesus to minister to a world that is in desperate need. The presence of the Lord through the Spirit given at Pentecost gives us power to witness and authority to bless.